Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our texts are taken from Psalm 121. Verse 1 says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. And verse 8 of that same psalm says, The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Aren't these comforting verses to realize that the Lord for those of us who are believers and are redeemed by his precious blood, it's the Lord who watches over us. He's the one that protects us. He's with us. He's promised never forsake us. He's always present with us, no matter where we go or what circumstance we fit. We, he's always with us, no matter what our circumstance are or whatever persecution or problem that we're facing. He's always there. He's always with us. We can't get away from him. What a great comfort that is to know that the Lord is watching over our affairs and he's meeting our needs and he's helping us day by day and even moment. Though the way we journey may be often drear, we shall see the King someday. On that blessed morning, clouds will disappear, we shall see the King someday. We shall see the King someday. We shall sing and shout someday. Gathered round the throne when He shall call His own. We shall see the King someday. After pain and anguish, after toil and care, we shall see the King someday. Ages, joy and blessing share. We shall see the King someday. We shall see the King. We shall see the King someday. We shall sing and shout. We shall sing and shout someday. Gathered round the throne when He shall call His own. We shall see the King someday. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Dennis Campbell. Dennis and I have just recently been in Indonesia, and have, we're partnering with a Christian church over there that has values similar to ours, same theology, and a real zeal and a real passion to share the gospel of Christ and disciple believers. We were able to travel to several islands in Indonesia. And Dennis, why don't you tell us about the last island that we uh, visited? Sure, Brian, I'd be happy to. I think, first of all, it's a matter of getting a perspective of just how many of these islands there are and how large of area we're covering. If you superimpose the islands of what's referred to as Indonesia across North America, it would stretch out almost coast to coast. And so we literally were, in the latter days of our trip, flying back to the capital to catch flights to fly out to other islands that literally took us across time zones. So. We would get into the city, fly out. It would fly out the, that last day. It took us four hours uh, to fly out to one of the furthest islands. And we were met there by a group of believers in that island who took us up and showed us a new compound that they were starting 
uh, to build another one of these training camps. Uh, as we mentioned in earlier broadcasts, the strategy of the Christian ministry in this location is to establish several of these training facilities throughout the islands. Because it's spread out so far, it becomes difficult financially and, and logistically to move the pastors into one place. So the goal is to help this church establish more of these training camps and centers to bring the pastors in and to educate them. We've completed 150 pastors have been through the program, and they basically want to accomplish that every year as a minimum. So we went up in the mountains and drove up to see another camp. A Christian landowner had donated the property. A Christian architect in the area has donated a strategic plan. Um, but one of the issues that we have to deal with in many of these locations is the fact that water is a real problem. Drinking water is a critical need. Uh, we're on islands. In some places, we're on islands that are volcanic rock. We're in some places that, that can be very arid, and the water uh, is relies very heavily on the rainy season. Uh, believe it or not, in the South Pacific, there are seasons when it doesn't rain, so the people then go to ground sources, and they're dealing with pollution. Some of the surface waters are easily contaminated, or there's various problems with minerals and smells and chemicals. So water has been a, come a real problem. At the same time, we see a strategy, even from the central government, to help wells be developed around Muslim communities and seems to be slow, if non-existent, in some areas where there's primary Christians. So the focus of this trip began by us traveling further into the mountains. We switched over to four-wheel drives and wound up into the mountains and were blessed to find these groups of believers that have established churches and villages. And we were there with them, understanding their struggle and determining what are the technologies and ideas and, and experience that Global can bring in helping them solve their water problems. Yeah, we were uh, in several areas. One one of the towns that I remember very vividly was up in the, the mountain there, and it's a, it was a large church, and it had a large Christian population. And it was pretty much a Christian area. Now, it was Christian in name only, not only when there was a believer. There were a lot of other groups that called themselves Christian that weren't evangelical Christians. And uh, they had a, an opportunity there to, to reach a great community, and, and the pastor there was a very dynamic man who had great gifts and abilities and a great passion for his people. And uh, it was amazing to me that the Muslims had put a very large mosque like a block away from this large church. And, of course, they have water problems there that need to be solved and wells that need to be drilled. And, and uh, it's like you said, Dennis, it seems like the, the Muslims get the food and the Muslims get the, uh, the wells and the Christians are, are left destitute. And a lot of people in that part of the world who claim to be Christ followers actually are bribed to become Muslims. They, uh, they give them food and they give them clothing. In exchange for that, then they have to go to the mosque. The pastor there thought that we needed to do something to to uh, try to meet some of those physical needs that these poor people have because uh, there really are Christians, and, and some of them are born again, but because they have no food or clothing, they have no choice. And so they need those things plus water so that they can uh, just live. And it was really a sad situation to see this and to hear about this. So we had a great compassion for these people. We prayed for them, and, and we're going to try to do some water projects there 
to at least give them uh, clean water and to, uh, to try to help them to start having some resources so that they don't have to go to the mosque to um, be able to feed their families and uh, keep a shirt on their back. So these are some of the things that really concerned us and really burdened me as we looked at this situation and thought through it and actually see it in front of your face. It's one thing to hear about. It's another thing to actually experience it and see these poor people. I was really touched by that. We'll be discussing these things next week. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. And we trust the Lord will continue to bless those who hear the gospel being preached across these airwaves. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners. This month, we're offering a booklet entitled Caregiving, which is a very important booklet. My mom and dad needed care towards the end of their lives, and my wife Patty's mom needed care in her latter years. We're caregivers. This booklet is a tremendous resource. And I wish I would have had this booklet when we were going through the process ourselves because taking care of someone in your home is a ministry and helps you to work through the various issues that you face and really helps you with scripture to overcome in giving care to another person. So I highly recommend this this booklet. Please write in to our uh, broadcast to the Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. And the booklet's name is Caregiving. Come see the seawalker, the blind man healer, that leper cleansing man from Galilee. I'll see that soul saver, the one who set me free. Take my hand and follow me. When I go to see St. Peter on that far off distant shore, when I'm through things in life that make me say, there'll be someone there to greet me and to meet me at the door. Open wide those pretty gates, I'm coming in. All my friends and my relation will be waiting there, I know. And my dear old mother, she'll be waiting too. So I'm getting ready, brother, tell me how. Open wide those pretty gates, I'm coming in To see the seawalker, the blind man healer That leper cleansing man from Galilee I'll see the great soul saver, the one who set me free Take my hand and follow me To see the seawalker, the blind man healer That leper cleansing man from Galilee Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman. Printed copies are available upon request. In our last 19 messages, we've been researching and discussing about how close we could be living to the end-time events that are prophesied in the Bible. Today, I would like to consider whether or not God will fulfill these prophecies as recorded in the Bible. Will they be fulfilled literally or figuratively? Will they be fulfilled to the specific people as promised? 
or will they be fulfilled, be fulfilled to others, such as the church? The best way to prove that we can depend on these end-time prophecies is by seeing how God has fulfilled the promises he made in the past that have been fulfilled exactly as he said. Our first example is found in Ezekiel 36, verses 6 to 11. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains, the hills, and the rivers, and the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have lifted my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities shall be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Here's a prophecy made by the prophet Ezekiel about 600 years before the birth of Christ. It ties in with messages from other prophets and himself that the Jews would return to the land after being scattered all over the earth for several thousand years. That land had been de desolated and ravished by one people group after another. All the trees had been cut down, causing massive erosion throughout the centuries. It was basically inhabited by a few scattered Bedouins. The towns were in ruins, and the only visitors were a few pilgrims. Then something began to happen. A small contingency of Jewish people began returning to their homeland. They purchased wasteland, drained the swamps, and began growing crops. They planted trees and began to till the soil and found it to be fertile. Today that once barren land provides fruit and vegetables not only for a population of around 9 million, but for much of the Middle East and Europe as well. The towns that were once in ruins have been rebuilt into modern cities where the people live and work. They have good roads, modern transportation, good schools, and modern conveniences similar to our own. God also promises that the Jews would be scattered, that they would come home to the land that he gave to their forefathers. It's amazing how these prophecies penned so many centuries ago are, in, are literally being fulfilled exactly as God promised in our lifetime today. In Deuteronomy 28, God made some promises about the Jewish people, about what would happen to them if they turned away from him. This is given to us in verses 62 to 67. You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God 
and it shall be just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And at evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart, and because of the sight which your eyes see. Before Israel went into the land under the leadership of Joshua, the Lord promised that if they turned away from him, they would lose their homeland. They would be few in number and scattered among the nations of the world. They would fear for their lives and be a persecuted people. Has this prophecy been fulfilled? The Jewish people have faced persecution and death during the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, the Russian pogrom, the Nazi Holocaust, and now through ever-worsening anti-Semitism. It is no wonder that so many are returning to Israel, even though that nation is surrounded by enemies seeking their destruction. My point in using these two illustrations is to make it very clear that the prophecies that God made have been and are continuing to be fulfilled exactly as he promised, and to the people to whom he made these promises. Next, let's take a look at a few of the prophecies given in the Old Testament about the first coming of Jesus. In Isaiah 7.14, we're told that the Lord would give the Jewish people a sign. That sign would be that a virgin would conceive and bear a son whose name would be Emmanuel, or God with us. There has been much discussion about the virgin birth as to whether or not the birth of Jesus was by a virgin. First of all, it was a sign to the Jewish people. A lot of young women bear children, so if that was the case, this would not be a sign or a miracle. The Hebrew word Alma, which is translated virgin, means a young woman one of whose characteristics is a virgin. Matthew clears this up in chapter 1, verse 23 of his gospel, quoting Isaiah 7, 14. He uses the Greek word parthenos for virgin. This word can only mean virgin. So nearly 800 years before his birth, Isaiah clearly pointed out the one who would be named God with us would be born of a virgin. That prophecy was literally fulfilled exactly as God promised. King David wrote his Psalms around a thousand years before the birth of Christ. In Psalm 22, he clearly gives us several prophecies concerning the crucifixion of Christ, 
and he gives an insight in detail about it. In verse 16 we read, They pierced my hands and my feet. In verse 18 we read, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. When we read the Gospels, we know this is exactly what happened at Calvary. God used David to make these prophecies, and they were fulfilled literally and exactly as God gave them to him so many centuries earlier. But using these few prophecies, we have seen today that we can each note that God fulfilled them precisely as he promised. These are only a few examples of hundreds of prophecies written in the Word of God that have been fulfilled. It is on that basis that we can claim that our God, who never changes, will one day literally fulfill the prophecies concerning future events. Why would a person ever doubt that God would change the way he will fulfill them? The reason for giving all of these previous, this previous information is because of a sweeping change that is taking place in theology today, especially with the younger generation. Many hold that you cannot accept prophecy as being contextually, historically, and grammatically correct. They try to do away with future prophecy being taken literally. For example, they claim that the promises given by God to Israel have nothing to do with the nation of Israel, but they have been transferred to the church. There is no future millennial kingdom with Christ ruling over the world for 1,000 years. The Middle East has nothing to do with end-time events, so they claim. I just received a communication from Israel today that confirmed this for years, the evangelical church has been a great friend of Israel, steadfastly standing with her through her wars, terrorism, and hatred by so many. This has been because of our firm premillennial position. Our position is that the church will be raptured or taken up to heaven first. This will be followed by seven years called the tribulation period. At the end of that time, Jesus will return to the earth, defeat the enemy, and establish a thousand-year reign of righteousness on the earth. The communication I received today from Israel stated very clearly that the evangelical church is removing their backing and support for Israel because they are convinced that there is no future for Israel. God is finished with their her and so are they. For me, this information was heartbreaking. At this point, I would like to take you to some scripture to prove that God is not finished with Israel and that he has much more for them prophetically. In Jeremiah 31, 35 to 40, we read these words. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. 
The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city be built for the Lord from the tower of Hananiel to the corner gate. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill Gareb. Then it shall turn toward the Goath and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate, toward the east, shall be holy to the Lord. It shall be plucked up. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down any more forever. It is absolutely impossible for me to see how you could ever take a prophecy like this and make it an allegory, or have it in any way refer to the church. These promises, as well as so many others, are so detailed and refer to a glorious future day when our Lord will return and establish his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Israel will be restored, and Jesus will rule over it and the entire earth for those thousand years. If you remember, during the life of Jesus, the people were looking for a king. They wanted a king who could deliver them from the Roman bondage. They forgot they were under a far greater bondage than Rome. It was the bondage of sin. When the remnant of Israel that remains at the end of the tribulation turns to the Lord at the second coming, their sins will be forgiven and the nation restored, and he will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Zechariah fourteen twenty to 21 puts it, puts it this way, In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Ezekiel ends the prophecy of in his book, but the name of the, of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. My friend, approximately 40% of the Bible was prophetic when it was written. That which has been fulfilled has come to pass exactly as it was predicted. It is on that basis, as well as the faithfulness of God, that we can depend on the future prophecies to be fulfilled on the same basis. Canada's National Bible Hour. 
share biblical truth and Bible doctrine to help people grow in their faith, but we're also concerned about those who may be listening in who have never received Jesus Christ, their personal Savior. And so we like to share a brief evangelistic message, which simply says this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all come short. We've all done things we're embarrassed about, things that we are, things that bring guilt to us. We realize that we did the wrong thing. Those things are called sin. The Bible calls it missing the mark. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a perfect God, and we are not. And so, therefore, we're not able to get into his presence because he's a holy God, and we are sinners, and we need grace. And the grace is that the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, lived a sinless life. He was a God-man. He went to the cross. He bore our sins in his own body. He died and rose again on the third day. And because he died for our sins on the cross, our sins are paid for. And so when we, we exercise faith, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. When you trust Christ for your salvation and ask him to forgive your sins and repent of your sins, you become a believer in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you're a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Remember to order your copy of Care Given. Write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States, Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also hear past messages of Canada's National Bible Hour by visiting our website, missiongo-radio.org.